Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 194. And I am thrilled, enthralled, excited, uh, whatever the word is in Amish. Um, just kidding, Mo. <laughs> Inside joke. Uh, we are excited to have Mo Boykins, the head girls basketball coach at Penwood High School out in the Philadelphia area. Coach Mo and I have met through a couple of different camps, and she is absolutely awesome. And she's going to have a lot of great stuff for folks here today. But before we get to Coach Mo, uh, we want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic, uh, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes are struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see Cosac Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at cosacchiro.com, K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com, or give them a call, 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you are listening, go to iTunes, download, rate, review, give us a five-star rating because that really helps us when people look up coaching basketball podcasts then the more reviews that we have and the better reviews that we have and the more people that review the podcast, it moves us up in the rankings so more people will listen to the pod. So please be sure to do that. Uh, any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com and check out a penandanapkin.com. It's a really good uh, resource for coaches. There's a lot of great stuff on there. I know that because I'm the one that put it together. So uh, go check it out. And that is all I have. Let's get us to the exciting part here. Coach Mo, how are things on the eastern seaboard today? Everything is good. Uh, great weather. Mm-hmm. Um, just enjoying the day. Good sunny day. You know, out here, um, just relaxing actually today. Today was an off day, so didn't have to do much. Awesome. <laughs> good stuff. Well, you are now have to going to have to go to work for the next hour or so, Mo. So um, have to wake you up a little bit. Uh, yes. You know, let's uh, let's get into you, uh, Mo. Let's uh, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your basketball background, your basketball journey. For folks that don't know, uh, you know a lot about you. Tell us how you ended up being uh, the head girls basketball coach at your alma mater, there, Penwood High School. Okay. First, I want to say thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It is definitely an honor and a pleasure, and I'm really excited about this opportunity. Um, First, you know, my name, full name is Monique Boykins. Um, Everybody calls me Mo, Coach Mo Boykins. Um, I started playing basketball in about third grade. Um, I stand about six foot one, and um, it was more so for me playing basketball um, was something that I just kind of grew and got really really good at and then really start to really like it so in third grade I just noticed I was taller than everybody but I didn't really know what to do with my height and it was this teacher in third grade named Miss Hare and uh, she was pretty tall and I admired her and she said you know she used to put my foot next to hers and she said this is how big your foot's going to be and she used to just (laughs) she used to just encourage me and taught me to embrace my height mm-hmm. you know um i used to get teased a lot because i was so tall you know by the time i was close to sixth grade i was almost six feet mm-hmm. so um what i did was you know i started playing basketball third grade took it up to sixth grade um then all of a sudden by seventh grade um i met my mentor 
and he kind of, his name is Rory Lewis, and he kind of just explained to me the breakdowns of basketball. So prior to that, I was in recreation leagues. Yep. Um, I was uh, the tallest girl against all the guys. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, about time, you know, I got in sixth grade, seventh grade, I was really, really taller than everybody. So it kind of basketball became something to me that, hey, I'm taller than everybody. What can I do with it? That's kind of how I looked at it at first. And then it kind of helped me um, with my self-esteem and embracing my height. Mm-hmm. So seventh grade comes around. I meet my mentor. That's when I really started playing um, under the whistle basketball for my middle school, Pimwood East at the time. Um, started playing there. Um, went on around eighth grade to start playing travel basketball, where in our area I played for the uh, Philadelphia Bells. I played for the Comets. Um, and then from there, ninth grade, it just took off. Um, I started to really, really learn how to utilize my body. Now, I'm a lefty. So um, it was this a couple games. I always used to go left, always yep. used to go left. Yep. And then my trainers, he was like, listen, you got to go right. You got to go right. So I started just really, really focusing on my right hand. And then I got to the point where I, I always was going right. So I started to use both, but it mm. took some time. Um, but when I started to really understand my potential in this game, um, it really became great. High school, I hold the um, rebound record at Pinwood High School. I had 1,167 rebounds. Uh, no one has ever broken my record yet. Um, so I'm really, <laughs> really happy about that. Um, and I played at Pinwood High School. From Pinwood High School, I then went to Kutztown University. Um, that's right in between um, Reading and Allentown. Um, mm-hmm. Really loved playing there. Uh, I actually... Went there for I, pl- I went there the whole four years, but I actually only played three and a half years. Um, the reason why I only played three and a half years, my grades had dropped, and um, I kind of had like a little nervous breakdown at a, at a younger age because I had lost my grandmom, who was a significant figure in our family. Um, I went to Kutztown University because I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a microbiologist, mm-hmm. and they had they had bio molecular and micro so i had to take that curriculum so during that time you know even my sophomore year my coach used to say to me you need to switch your major you know they couldn't believe i was a bio major coming in because everybody was education or sports management so sophomore year she's like ah i see it's a little rigorous for you need to switch your major never switch my major junior year things start to kind of tumbleweed Mm -hmm. so she she allowed me to keep my scholarship and she said, I want you to go back and help others. And that's actually how I've been living my life. The crazy thing about it is I graduated from Kutztown University with my um, biology degree. And then I had the opportunity to go overseas mm-hmm. and play in Belgium, Holland, France yeah. uh, with Glo- Global Sports Academy. So that's basically my playing career. Um, at Kutztown, I hold one of the uh, block shot records at mm-hmm. Kutztown. And I believe it's at, I had 70, 74 or something like that block shots um, in the time that I played. Um, and that's, you know, that's basically what kept me going through college and also through, you know, my career of being a scientist, uh-huh. just playing ball and, um, you know, putting it all together. Yeah. <laughs> um. How did you, uh, what, what about your coaching journey, Mo? You know, how did, how did you end up back at the alma mater? 
So what's very interesting about that is, is that I came back to my school to visit my athletic director. Um, rest in peace. He, he died about a month ago. His name was Rap Curry. He actually is in the Hall of Fame at St. Jude's. Um, Rap Curry, he influenced me to come back and, you know, give back my time. So in 2000, I would say 2007, um, eight around that time, I started volunteering uh-huh. um, for Penwood High School, just coming there and looking around. 2008, 2009, um, I started really, really getting into coaching. Uh-huh. So I did two years as a volunteer, and then I became a head coach. I never thought about being a coach. Yeah, I feel like I was called into it. I seen the need that our kids had. I seen how we had to give our time and pour into them, and it just inspired me. Uh-huh. So two years as a volunteer coach, and then from there, history. I started to um, become a head coach. I, I head coached for seven years at Penwood High School. Um, we, I was very successful in that seven-year stint. I had three Delval titles, and I had our first state appearance in history. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, I went to Lower Marion High School for three years. Uh, we had not beat Harrington High School for seven years. And my first year, we beat Harrington High School, which re- really, really was an inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something where at, at Lower Marion, I wanted to show kids that they could do it. Yeah. Versus at the high school, at Penwood High School, the kids knew that they could do it, but they needed the skill. They needed to be... Um, coached into it a little bit more so it was a little bit different um and then after coaching um at the head coach position at lower marion i came back to pinwood for one year um that was for one year and then covid had started to um basically go go wild you know and i left after that for one year went to penn state abington and that was a little bit after covid that was that 21 22 year Mm -hmm. i was there for one year and then after penn state i was the interim head coach at penn state abington Mm -hmm. and then now i am currently back at penwood high school um this is my second year in at penwood high school yes gotcha gotcha uh you had said you know there's a lot of different combinations of high school coaches and what they do in the the real world most are teachers but you have people that work outside of uh schools that 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 are that are coaches and and head coaches uh but as we kind of joked about off air i i think we're going to talk more microbiology today than we have the entire 193 preceding episodes mo uh you know uh and, and when you told me this a few weeks ago i was like Wow, that that's that's impressive, you know. A, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah. you know, what kind of drove you into the field of wanting to be a microbiologist, uh, and and how and, and what are ways that that you can or that you have used your full time career to help you with with coaching your kids? Okay, so I in seventh grade, I had a teacher named Miss Leupold. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's so important. Teachers are so important today. They are the the blueprint of our character building. Um, so I had a teacher who we learned about single cellular single single cellular organisms. Mm-hmm. And when you learn about single cellular organisms, the first thing you learn about is you learn about um, something called a paramecium, and you learn about a, a amoeba. And if you I've, look I've at heard a, of those words before, <laughs> by the way. I just want to I just want to throw that in there. I've heard those words. Okay, awesome. Okay, awesome. not so, bad for a history teacher to at least recognize what those words are. So, yes. So, um, if you look at a, uh, a paramecium, 
a paramecium looks like the sole of the shoe. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the bottom of the sole of a sneaker, that's how a paramecium is shaped, and it has something called cilia on the in, out, on the outside of it. And the cilia actually helps the paramecium to move along. They use that for um, locomotion, locomotive. So with with that being said, um, it kind of me being a basketball player at that time, everything clicked. She said, "Mo, it's just like a shoe. Look at it." And I look at him like, "Yes, this is the sole of a shoe. Tell me more about it." So I've never really like I looked at. I'm like, "Man, this thing is." something i cannot even see on the surface of a table mm -hmm. but it's there so that intrigued me mm -hmm. so by the time i got to college i started to now during that time i only knew about biology mm -hmm. but then i started to understand um the specialty microbiology so that's what it stuck to me I, I i wanted to learn about bacteria i wanted to learn about viruses i started to learn about virology and parasitology yeah. all of that really just opened my eyes and um in my room in my bedroom at home um i used to have basketball slam magazines on one side and the other side was all just pictures of germs and bacteria <laughs> and odd things and I, you know, coming in my room, my friends would be like, well, what is this? You know, but it was just something that um, just stuck with me yeah. and helped me get through, you know, the courses. And um, when I started to really, really have a firm understanding of what science was about, I said, man, I want to work for DuPont. That was the first company. I knew I wanted to get into pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. but I didn't know where in pharmaceuticals. So um, from there. I my I, after I came back from overseas, I started working for Merck making a chickenpox vaccine. Oh, wow. I was a biotech a biotechnology a technologist for them. Um, I did something uh, it's called uh, the cytopathic effect. I would tell the company when it was time to inject the MRC five cells with the virus that we use, which is the varicella virus for chickenpox. So it was it was something that really really was true to my heart because those vaccines were going out to third world countries and in some third world countries chickenpox it occurs in the throat so it's very very important for us to have to produce that vaccine and get it out there so Merck was the first pharmaceutical company I worked for I learned so much working there and then from there is history I started working for Metamune, AstraZeneca um, all different companies I had the opportunity to work with um, the bird flu vaccine you know, um, I had the opportunity to not only um, work with the bird flu vaccine, but also understand how we were going to um, use it as an injectable for babies. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we developed a nasal a nasal mist that we could use for babies. So if you would spray the nasal mist versus injecting them in the arm with a needle, uh, the first thing a baby does is cry when they get when they get nervous or they're scared of something. Well, also the first thing they do was sniff up. So mm -hmm. we knew that that vaccine would be able to get quickly to the brain barrier, you know. So it was just something where all of these things were I had the opportunity to work on. And to this day, um, I'm more so on the compliance side because we call it the bench. Being a microbiologist looking under a microscope, mm -hmm. I'm not in, I'm not on the bench anymore. Um, I'm not doing um, <laughs> I, I don't have to do a lot of incubation, a lot of um, testing. But I had my share of that for several years. I'm now more so into compliance. But that's what drove me um, into microbiology. And I love it. I love studying things that you cannot see with the naked eye. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things I've really been impressed watching you, Mo, and, and watching you work with 
young women is your passion about being a, a, a strong role model for young women. And, you know, where, where does that come from? Uh, I, I know you take it seriously. Where's, you know, again, kind of like, where's the inspiration for that? Uh, how much of that has come naturally for you? How much of that has been something that you've consciously developed on your own to, to, to be that great role model for, for young women? You know, honestly, Marty, I have to say it's deep rooted in me. Um, it's something that I, I, I feel like I can say I'm natural with it, but God, you know, I am, I'm very spiritual. Um, I just, you know, at, at the age of seven years old, um, I used to go to church by myself and, uh, I came from kind of a broken home mm-hmm. and, um, it was functional, it was functional, but it was broken. Yeah. And, um, a lot of times I would, you know, to get away from everything that was going on, I would get up and I would go to this Lutheran church that was on the corner of my block. And I remember, like it was yesterday, it's this, this uh, couple, the pastor, his, his pastor Salem, and they were Lutherans, and I used to go there, and I used to always want to be an acolyte, and they taught me what an acolyte was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it. I learned a lot being under that, not being in trouble. You know, everything I did was to stay away from what was going on at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember times where I would bring every, you know, going through class for middle school, I used to bring every book with me and try to read each chapter from every class. It was just, I knew that I wanted to be better than my parents. Mm -hmm. And that was just something that stuck with me. And um, that's just, it was was a drive that I had at a young age. And I feel like God put it in me because it's no way in the world, the things I went through in life would I have survived without God. So I just feel like my drive, originally it came from him and and i just had the ability to see so many things that made me just say you know what you can't fail at this thing called life mm-hmm. it's impossible to fill at life so that's where the drive came from and then the inspiration was having kids look at me as a role model and saying you know what i can do that too you know your circumstances your situation is not is not your vision it's not your future and I want kids to understand no matter what their circumstances may be, whatever situations they're in, that is not their future. So don't lose hope in where your dream may go. So that was something that is the inspiration um, that I have inside me. And I just want all kids and all adults to know that, you know, life is an amazing thing. And whatever you can do in this journey, it's about your epitaph. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the beginning or the end. It's about the epitaph. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you've been really fortunate, and I don't want to say fortunate, you've earned the mm-hmm. opportunities to work at a lot of different, you know, really high-profile camps, independent of the teams that you've coached. Yes. And, uh, you know, CP3, Snow Valley, which is where we met, USA stuff with Coach Show, and a lot of different things. You know, how have, how has it, uh, working in... And for other people outside of your quote unquote comfort zone and, and working in some of these camp situations, how has that helped improve you as a basketball coach? Oh man, it has improved. I, I could say that they're just gifts that keep on giving. 
because <laughs> when when in 2017 I started working with USA Basketball Youth, um, and um, it was it was very interesting. Coach Show while I was at Lower Marion, he reached out to me and asked me if I could speak at a coaches academy, mm-hmm. and um, I really love I lo- I love speaking. And um, I was just like speaking at a coach's academy, but I did it. And um, from there, I've always built a relationship with USA and, and Coach Show, um, just being under his wing and learning so much um, from his mentorship and just how to be a better coach in the right way to coach this game. You know, there is a right way and there is a wrong way as well. Mm-hmm. And as you grow, you know, with coaching, we adapt. We take things and we adjust them to our to fit our philosophy or the needs that we we need during that time for our programs. But you know, from that, everything just opened up. You know, I started with the coaches academy, then started um, traveling, doing um, USA Gold camps. Now I'm running some of the gold camps on the girls' side, which I really really enjoyed mm-hmm. having the opportunity to be around so many different elite athletes, and then. Um, from there, I get a call for CP3, um, working with Jeff Becker, and um, you know started there just as a court coach, and now has worked my way up to um, be an assistant um, with helping out with evaluating players. You know, mm-hmm. um, I really love that, and um, then I also had the opportunity to work uh, with the Steph Curry Underrated Tour. Uh, so that was something else that you know all of these experiences have exposed me to the opportunity to get better. Mm-hmm. And every time I go to these, um, you know, these camps and clinics, I go there not just saying I'm coming with the knowledge, but I go there saying I want to be better. Mm-hmm. And um, that has helped me a lot, mm-hmm. um, helped me in my coaching philosophy, um, learning more drills, and also being better with people, learning people. Mm-hmm. Coaches in the Omaha metro area. Get signed up today for the Metro Basketball Coaches Association Coaches Clinics to be held at Union Bank and Trust facilities out in West Omaha, 204th and Dodge. We've got another great lineup this fall here for Wednesday nights. We're going to get you taken care of. we got a lot of great stuff here. Starting on September 20th, an on-the-court demonstration by two of the best coaches in the region. Trent Miller, the men's basketball coach at Morningside College, and then the highly successful coach of the Creighton Blue Jays on the women's side. Jim Flannery is going to come out and do an on-court demonstration for the coaches in the area. Week 2, September 27th, it's going to be Doug Woodard, the former head coach at Bellevue West and multiple state champion coach there, along with Derek Kellogg, who's an assistant coach at Creighton University on the men's side of the ball. So you've got two great coaches there they are going to talk. On October the 4th, you've got Fred Hoiberg, the head men's basketball coach at the University of Nebraska, going to come in and do some talking, I'm sure, about his offensive philosophy. And then Andy Shaw from Iowa Western, one of the best small, uh, one of the best junior college programs in the country. The last week here, October the 11th, Ken McDonald from USA Basketball is going to come in. He's got a lot of different experiences that he's going to share. And all of this stuff is going to be at the OSA facility at the Union Bank and Trust Arena 21015 Cumberland Drive out in Elkhorn. Uh, There's going to be wings. There's going to be beverages. There's going to be door prizes. A lot of really, really good stuff. If you want to get signed up for this year's MBCA, uh, get a hold 
to Tom Crable here at Boys Town. The address is 9002 Pacific Street in Omaha, 68114. He'll get you set up, or you can sign up at the door. But it is one of the best clinics that you're going to have. A lot of great coaches, a lot of great company, a lot of great discussions here at the Metro Basketball Coaches Association clinics. So get signed up for those today. You know, Mo, one of the things that you sent me was uh, you, you had a program or an acronym, Team Success, and, and one, of your, one of your quotes was, uh, let your passion be your vehicle to your success. Uh, and, and the success is, a, is an acronym, and yeah, just, you know, just kind of dive into that a little bit there, uh, Coach, about, uh, again, just inspiring others and, and, and how, you, how you use that with, with your teams and, and your programs and, and all the things that you do. Yeah, so um, around 2000, I would say 16, I started Team Success. Success stands for sustaining unbelievable character through challenge, empowerment, sacrifice, and support. And all of those things you need in life, all of those things, you know, unbelievable character through every challenge. You know, you have to be empowered. You have to sacrifice some things. And you also got to support. You got to have a support system and you got to support things as well. So uh, when I started this, I wanted I love the term success. Because I always tell athletes and people that you define your success. No one defines your success but you. And that is your measurement of uh, that you take, you know, on. Because some people may look at others and say, oh, I'm not as successful because I'm not where they are in life. Yep. And it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. It's where do you want to be? What do you want to do? And what have you accomplished? Mm-hmm. And you go from there and you, you write that out and that is your measurement of success. So um, that acronym um, was developed around 2016. Um, Team Success is a traveling um, traveling basketball organization. We go up and down the East Coast and we expose children to Division One through three to JUCO schools uh, to help them experience uh, the college nature. We put them in tournaments and things of that nature, put them on college campuses, um, just like a travel AAU program. But we also focus on basketball and teaching life through basketball. So we use a lot of quotes. Uh, we have a lot of group sessions where we're motivating and encouraging them. And uh, we help them out with FAFSA forms and we help them out with college applications and so forth. Uh, we do a lot of team outings and stuff that are just relative to maybe what um, what may be going on at the time, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of community service. So um, that is something that was developed uh, to help my community and help kids um, that are not necessarily elite players, mm-hmm. but we can develop them to show them that you can succeed. There is a level for you somewhere. Yeah. It, it, cr- helping create opportunities for kids that might not have realized those opportunities were out there for them. Is that kind of what you're doing, Mo? Agree. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Awesome. So, let me get this straight. You're coaching your own team. Mm-hmm. You're a microbiologist. Mm-hmm. You're traveling all over the country, doing all these things. You're running a an AAU type of program, and through mm-hmm. all this stuff, you have time to be president of the school board. <laughs> yes, I do. My, do you get like an extra four hours a day, or or something like that? Do you have a Do you have a DeLorean parked in your garage, and you're just taking that, or what? What do you got going on, Mo? Oh, you know, 
I I actually, I, someone came to me um about eight years ago while I was coaching, and she said, "You really need to think about getting um on the school board. You know, your alumni here, um, you're you're accomplished. You will be a great example." Mm-hmm. And um. At that time, I did not know the importance of a school board director. Uh-huh. I really didn't. And um, I thank God to this day that I got involved. You know, yeah. eight years later, I can tell you that we've made some significant strides. Um, it took me six years on a board. I've been the president now. This is my second term. Yeah. Um, I am the first African-American female president for the William Penn School District. And our school district is about 85 to 90% Mm African-American. And um, I always feel that it's important to be at the first of something. And because you show others that, hey, you can do it too. And um, I want a lot of young women just to know that you can do it. You know, and um, so I've been on the board. My my term is up in 2025. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be running again. I'm still thinking about it. But in that time frame, I've done so much work with hiring a new superintendent. Um, we just got finished um, bringing in a $14.9 million complex uh, sports outdoor complex. It was we never had a track. Mm-hmm. Our school never had a track. We never had a football field. Yeah. Um, so this is something that is true and dear to my heart. We used to run on dirt. Mm-hmm. Our football players would run in the grass, but it was unleveled. Yeah. Um, so it has a um, softball field, uh, also a baseball field. And um, I'm just really excited about it because our track team used to run on the second floor of the of the school. Oh, and we are a well-known track team. Um Leroy Burrell went to Penwood High School, one of the fastest men in the world. And um, we didn't have a track back then. Uh, We still had that dirt track. So I just I'm happy to be able to help with that and help with our curriculum and our education. So, yeah, I I have, you know, I, I am spread with time, but I make time and I maneuver my schedule enough. Um, to be present and be active and uh, be efficient and effective. What's some of the, you know, or let me rephrase that. How has your perspective as a coach changed uh, since you started doing work with the school board? My perspective as a coach has changed with regard to um, learning more safety, mm-hmm. um, understanding that Um, how many people are involved in Mm -hmm. decision-making. That's a big thing. And then understanding cost. Mm -hmm. I think um, that has really, really um, enlightened me in some way with understanding cost. But what I will say is is that um, I just had a call the other day with Jeff Becker from CP3, and his his quote was, uh, being a coach is a title, but leadership is a choice. And what I will say is it has helped me be a better leader as a coach and, um, you know, just more organization, uh, more understanding of what each assistant can provide to the team, you know. So I think those things of being in the um, – being a part of the school board has helped me drastically and also parent participation, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, I think that my outlook on parent parent participation has changed drastically since I've been a school board director. In what way? Cause, oh man, I include parents in everything. Yeah. 
I include them more in everything and give them jobs and tasks and things to do because if it's a true village, we cannot forget the parents. Mm-hmm. So that has helped me a lot. Um, and, and also understanding the parent perspective. Yeah. You know, understand the parent perspective. So, yes. You know, that's, you know, that parent perspective. I think that's important that we, we keep that. You know, one of the, I feel like, selling points I now have as a coach uh, because I'm seasoned and experienced and all three of our kids have now run through their high school educational experience and and you know as I tell my parents now there's there's it would be hard for you to find a situation that I haven't seen or walked a mile in your shoes as as a as a parent now and I think that has helped me with my communication with my parents that doesn't mean that we always see eye to eye on everything, but I, I think when you tell that to parents and you can back that up with, you know, yeah, you know, here's just the simple facts of the situation or or in your situation, you know, understanding how important it is to have parent involvement for the success of a school, you, you know, our natural instinct is sometimes we want to fight that and and we do have to embrace it to a, to a degree. We've just got to find that it's it's the art of coaching or being involved with the school board of we we do have to have parent involvement we do have to have their support because if we don't in especially in today's day and age it's almost impossible to be successful uh mm-hmm. because there's so many more moving pieces to a program mm-hmm. um absolutely absolutely and, and uh you know i truly believe this if you have a program and it's a youth-based program, high school, middle school, so forth, um, if you don't take the time to get to know the parent, then you're not going to have a full understanding of how to be able to coach the kid. Mm-hmm. And I say this because the game hasn't, it's not necessarily that the game has changed. Parenting has changed. And if you can understand how parenting has changed and you can get to know these parents a little bit more, it'll help you understand your your players a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, Mo, you you brought up uh, your stint at Lower Marion High School. For those of you that you might say, God, Lower Marion, why does that sound so familiar? Uh, That is, of course, the alma mater of the late, great Kobe Bryant. And, you know, what was that experience being at at Kobe's alma mater like I'm, I'm, I'm sure his uh, obviously he was living in Los Angeles and and you know so forth and so but 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 his presence probably is still hanging around those hallways a little bit I would imagine yes you, you know first and foremost it was a pleasure to have the opportunity to coach there uh-huh. uh, during that time I was very excited you know first year there I was really really excited being there um you have the Kobe Bryant shrine so when you first get there um, as you walk through the hallways of the gym, it's an opening and they have an enclosed case mm-hmm. and it's all of his um, paraphernalia, like his sneaker, the trophy, the net, all types of stuff. And it's pretty cool. You know, mm-hmm. people actually travel the world um, to look at his um, high school case. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you go into the gym, definitely an epic gym. They have something called Maroon Madness that. I can't even explain to you the type of energy that goes on through Maroon Madness. It's a big pep rally that they have for their winter winter sports. And, I mean, they just really go all out with it. Um, To me, it was an honor. It was prestigious um, to be a part of that, um, to be in a gym where – or 
well, you know, he played in the other gym, but just to be a part of greatness. And that's how it felt somewhere, someone where, somewhere where greatness was at. And, um, they really, it's a, it's a good program at, um, Lower Marion High School, even on the boy, the boys side, it's ran very, very well by Coach Downer. Um, had the opportunity to talk to him and pick his brain a couple of times and um, uh, Coach Young as well. So that was pretty cool. Um, it was just like, you know, what Kobe has done, he made sure that the girls had the same thing as the boys. Yeah. And I really, really think that was pretty cool. Like the boys would get new sneakers. The girls were getting Kobe's, you know, yeah. everyone had that opportunity of sharing some part of his greatness. And, um, you know, he had, um, he had wrote a book. I had the opportunity to also meet Andrew Bernstein, which was his photographer. Um, Andrew Bernstein came out and spoke, which was pretty cool. Um, if we, we, we asked him a whole lot of questions, you know, being at Lower Marion, it was an awesome opportunity. And um, I, I will never forget the experience that I had there mm -hmm. um, on the girls side. It was a different type of player. Um, so basically skill wise development, you had to really, really push and understand the system and understand what pull the athleticism out of the players. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, you know, it, it became a really, really good thing after a while with building that program. And as I said, um, beating Harrington for the first time, I felt like the team that I had during that time and just the type of players, you got to show them that they can, they can. And, and that was a message, um, I had for them when when one wins we all win and um you know I, it was just something that really really um I felt like I left the blueprint there um I definitely left um a blueprint there of showing that I was there for sure mm -hmm. a pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. Mo, at this time, we're going to switch gears here. We're going to go with the John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, this week, or, I, uh, I've been at home the last couple of days taking care of my wife, and my, my Wooden book was at school, and I texted my son to grab the book, and he didn't get the text. And so I, I just went with the old Google machine to find a good John Wooden quote, but I've got a good one here for you, Mo. So, uh, Coach Boykins, are you ready for the John Wooden quote of the day? Yes, I am. All right, here we go. John Wooden quote of the day is, I've never stopped trying to do what's right. I'm not doing it to earn favor with God. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. Yes. What do you got for me, Mo? Well, that quote touches home with me because... When we are, when we are younger, we always, we always, we learn as we grow, right? Yep. And you have this conscience and our parents always teach us, try to teach us right from wrong. And when we have a foundation and a building block, as we get older, 
that little voice speaks to us. And mm-hmm. we always understand, you know, what to do in in the moment. Now, it may not, we may have, we may think that, okay, I picked the right choice, but it's always about those consequences that come. It could be good consequences. It could be bad consequences. Mm-hmm. But the key is, is that to follow your heart and do what's right, because when you do what's right, you always get some type of affirmation, like something mm-hmm. that says, okay, that you, you just feel touched. Mm-hmm. And, and also doing what's right um not only do you just impact yourself but you impact others Mm -hmm. so um it's not always just about doing god's work um it's also just picking and choosing the right things to do which god will speak through that so that's how i interpret that quote yeah i i i agree you know it's just do the next right thing do the Mm -hmm. next right thing regardless of the situation and and you know being a leader sometimes the hard thing the right thing to do is very very difficult to do in certain situations yeah. and we talk about that with our kids within our program that you know leadership is sometimes lonely and sometimes you're going to have to if you really want to be a leader within the program you might have to say or or do some things that you know are are going to maybe put you on a little bit of an island for a short amount of time. But if you truly have the respect of your teammates, uh, Mm -hmm. everything's going to be okay. And it's going to make us better as long as you do this the right way. And, and, and I, and I just think it's important, you know, you, you know, within your program, you find a way to do service Uh, within your program. You have your high school kids work with the younger kids in your program, youth kids, uh, elementary kids uh, to, to show them, you know what it is that it is important to do, and and things like that, um, and I and I think that if you're if you're doing those right things, I, I think it'll come back, and you will be uh, I, I, good things will happen to you if you do good things for other people. Agree. It yeah. comes back ten times fold. I always say, when you can impact one, you've already impacted ten. Yep. And I truly believe that. Yep. Well, hey Mo, let's uh, let's jump into your basketball philosophy here. Um, let's talk a little half court defense. What, what, uh, what are some things that you do? Um, how do you implement it? What are some drills that you run? Where does that philosophy come from? Uh, at at this point, like I, like I tell most of our coaches, I'm just going to kind of sit back and let you roll here. And if I've got a question or if I need to interrupt, I will do so as politely as I can. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just just tell us about your half-court defensive philosophy and what, you, what you've done with your programs and, and why it works for you. So um, in the last few years, um, we've had a lot of athleticism um, in our program, and I... Um, I really push on that. Um, I try my best to uh, use um, guards that are very, very fast um, that can ha- can have good, that have good or show good hand and eye coordination. I try to recruit soccer players as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, what I do is I try to recruit a lot of volleyball as well, meaning kids that go not actually recruiting, but kids that are already in our program that go to yeah. our school that may play soccer or may play um, volleyball. And what I focus on is is that um, I like 
to throw different defenses at you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people are not in favor of zone, but I run man-to-man and I run zone. Mm-hmm. I run both. Um, I also run box and ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I also run triangle and twos. Um, I will change up my defense often mm-hmm. on an opponent, um, depending on what we have. And the reason why I do that is I don't want you, I don't want you to ever get comfortable. Yep. So sometimes we may go into a two-man uh, trap out of a um, three-two. Um, sometimes we might just go into a box and one if need be. Um, but I I train my players to be able to adjust to all defenses, and then also a lot of times I don't. I will never play zone the whole time. What I'll do is is that for instance, off the second pass, off the third pass, sometimes off the fifth pass, we may jump into a man. Mm-hmm. So I teach my players to be able to alter off of that. Um, I do a lot of scramble defense, um, practice practice drills for our players to be kind of adapt to the closest player around them. So the scramble drill, you know, for instance, you may drop a ball in the middle, blow the whistle, you got to drop the ball and you have to rotate to the next closest person or something of that nature. Or I add in another player and you got to jump. Somebody has to jump to that player and make sure everybody else is covered. Um, I really like running those type of drills. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes down to, I, I play a lot of um, two-on-two, uh, three-on-three, and also advantage and disadvantage defenses. Mm-hmm. So we may run um, a two-on-one. Uh, we may run a three-on-one. Um, I really focus on ball movement. That's very, very important to me uh, for us to make that extra pass and, and get the ball moving. And it is, you know, with players that, have not seen that style it takes time to adapt sometimes because you have some players that are street they have street ball knowledge Mm -hmm. so you have to get them to understand um to play under the whistle Mm -hmm. so um in the beginning it's a little frustrating because the players are like i'm doing what i tell you i'm I'm doing what you're saying i'm doing what you're saying but help defense is very very important yeah and if you're not in help you got to break down to explain why you are not in help Mm -hmm. and sometimes um what i do is i use huddle during practice so i'll get practice i'll get the players to watch themselves during practice so they can understand a little more of why we're focusing on certain areas on the court or where we may be a little slow um, getting there to be able to help. Um, So that's something, you know, I really, really, I like studying Vivian Stringer. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, she's not coaching anymore, but I love studying her stuff. I also um, like studying Dawn Staley and also Kim Mulkey, uh, Kim Mulkey's style of defense because Kim Mulkey has a lot of hard-nosed guards. Mm-hmm. And um, when it's time to go into that full court press or it's time to go into that double, those girls, girls are ready. And mm-hmm. sometimes she doesn't even call it. It's just they know. Yeah. You know, and that's something that I want my kids to be able to get. They get a vibe of understanding, okay, can we get this extra point real quick? You know, can mm-hmm. we can we push this person far left because she ha- she doesn't have a strong left hand? You know, I want them to be able I- to identify the weakness as I identify the weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that in our half court defense, that's really really what we focus on. We continue to change defenses often, a lot of times. Yeah. How, how much uh, how much time do you spend on your defensive principles in practice, Mo? Um, to be honest, I probably spend about twenty to thirty minutes on defense. Mm-hmm. Okay. It takes up a good amount of practice. Yeah. When, when do you usually like to sprinkle that in? Is it all in one big chunk? You know, how how do you implement that in your in your practice setup? 
So usually in my practice setup, um, we'll go over defense first for the first uh, for the first. 15 minutes we'll have a challenging defense drill and i also in practice with the defense drill so what i like to do is kind of get them up and going right away um you know get kind of get get some aggression out of them they're you know they're just starting their day so we we may go one-on-one we may go two-on-two to get them revved up and things of that nature and then at the end of practices, that's that is more when we do our fifteen minute drill, where it's more so breakdown mm-hmm. um, of what we talked about in the first part. Gotcha, gotcha. What uh, if, if you had to? If you were on a desert island and you only had one defensive drill that you could use forever and ever, but you had to put it on repeat, and it was the only one that the basketball gods allowed you to use, Mo, which one would it be? Mm, I would go man to man. I will go man to man. Like a like a uh, like a closeout drill or what um, what drill? You you oh you said if it's if it's one oh say you said what, if it's one, one drill. drill. One drill. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about yep. that. That's okay. Um and let's see, one drill that I would use it's a it's a uh, a offensive transition drill that I have. Okay. Where um we start off with five and we're headed down the court and um we go over all four of our uh, secondary fast break options. Um, and the reason why I say that is is that uh, secondary fast break is our bread and butter. If we can get it and go um, and not be in that half-court setting for such a long time, uh, that is the drill I want everyone to everyone to use, and I would do over and over again because you can you can score out of it every single time. Mm-hmm. So I would continue to teach that drill and four options out of it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, how about your assistant coaches? Um, you know. You uh, put down on the survey I sent to you what, you know, you wanted to talk about what responsibilities you give your assistant coaches. I think a challenge, and and I've been working on it a lot here uh, the last couple of weeks, is delegating responsibilities. And, and some I'm, I'm much better at it than I was earlier in my career, but I still think that there's more that I can do to give more responsibilities to my assistant coaches. Uh, but we have a hard time doing that as assistant or as head coaches. So, um, what are some of the things that you give to your assistant coaches uh, as far as their responsibilities, and and how do you kind of divvy that up? You know, how do you decide who's going to do what, where, when, how, why, and and all that fun stuff. So, um, with the assistant coaches that I currently have right now, um, very very unique thing with me. Um, usually, in my coaching staff, I have either players that have seen me play players that have graduated um from Pimwood um and I also have players that I have coached mm-hmm. so it helps me become very familiar or know them already and um there I can identify as we start practices I can identify strengths and weaknesses also I pull coaches from my travel program so um it, it's kind of like I already have built a relationship with them already. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to strengths and weaknesses in practice, every coach is responsible to bring a certain amount of drills. I have a guard, a guard development coach. Um, and also she doesn't just handle guard work, but she also is responsible for calling in a score. She's, she's a, a score after every game. Um, she's also responsible for our managers. Um, so that's something that I use with one of my coaches. Another coach I have, um, she's a teacher in the building, which really, really helps. Yep. Um, she helps out with academic success. 
Okay. So she's the one having one-on-one conversations a lot of times uh, with the players once their grades are slipping and things of that nature. But she also starts, she's in charge of starting up practice because she has a high energy. Um, she brings in high energy. So she gets the girls up and moving. Um, but she also, I just really loves the, love the way that she has her relationship and rapport with the girls because not only is she strict, but she also gets them to think about the decisions that they make. So like she, you know, if I'm having trouble with a player that has done something wrong in class, she usually can pull that player aside and try to get them on the right track, sure. uh, which really, really helps. Um, all my players, all of my coaches are in charge of stats. So um, at the end of the year um, or end of the game, whatever it is, stats are organized on a sheet and we're reviewing those stats on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. Um, also, Something else I do is is that I have another coach. Um, his name is Coach Chuck. He's in charge of academic success as well. Um, what he does is he handles all study hall. He handles college readiness, and he also sets up uh, college visits. Um, so he handles that part of the of, of the uh, program, but he does not help coach in the building. Mm-hmm. I mean, help coach in the gym. So he's more so outside, and you only meet Coach Chuck. So kind of like a group. director of operations to a degree, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. definitely. Yeah. And um, they all report information back to me. We have weekly meetings. I get updates and things, and this helps me because – it pulls their strengths and weaknesses out and it also helps them feel like empowered. Oh, coach Mo needs me to do this. I'm going to take on this role. I'm responsible or in charge of this. So when I, what I find is, is that when you give someone the keys to the car, they will drive and they'll take care of the car because they know that it's all theirs. You know, Mm. we're depending on them. And, um, that's one thing I stress to my coaches. I'm depending on you. We need you. You are valuable. And and I say that a lot. So um, that's a, something I do. And the last thing is I assign two to three players to each coach. Mm-hmm. And what their job is, is to ensure that they get to know those players, um, ask them about, you know, their home life and things of that nature. How's everything going? Just do an emotional check in um, to make sure everything is going well. So that's the type of program that we run because family, I really, really show the kids what family is. You know, we may say family, but what is family? And it's important to define that in your culture. Yeah. Uh, I, I really I really like that concept, Mo, of, you know, assigning the the coaches a, a player or, you know, two, two three, four players uh, per coach. And, and, and some Coaching staffs aren't big enough to do that, but if you have the capability to do that, I really, I really like that, and I love the phrase that you use there: emotional check-ins. You know, we coach a really long season, and there's a lot of ups and downs with it, and and I think it's important. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with with your staff. Is you know, the physical is one thing, but the mental and the emotional, especially, you know, stuff we've learned in the last three, four, five years with, with quarantine and, and all of that is we've really got to stay on top of our kids mentally and make sure that they're mentally engaged, mentally okay, and and feeling good about themselves. Because if, if they're feeling good about themselves, they're probably going to play better. And, mm-hmm. and and that's the that's the ultimate goal. Is, it, uh, is that 
you know, you know, I'm just kind of spitballing here, Mo, but I'm guessing that's, you know, those are some, some factors that go into it as well. Well, you know, um, Marty, you hit on a good point. Um, when we talk about feeling good and girls basketball and correct me if I'm wrong, what I've learned, uh, the difference between girls basketball and boys basketball, this is how I feel. I've, I've seen it. Um, in these years of coaching, when girls, when they feel good, they play well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, if I agree. they're not feeling good, they're not playing well. But if guys, they could not be feeling well, but as soon as they score, <laughs> it's that I got this. Yeah, you know, I got this. You, you know, you see the, you see the, um, the hands in the air, the three hands in the air, all types of things. You know, um, it's just that energy. And that's what uplifts them. So um, what we do is, is that we also take in mental health is very, very important in our program. We do a session in the beginning to explain what mental health is and um, we define it um, for the girls. And then we talk about different mental health situations. And what I did last year, I just started this last year. And we want our players to feel good inside. And and I, I tell the girls, you know, it's never a bad day. It's bad moments. Mm-hmm. And it's okay not to be okay. Yep. And I tell the girls that. So we had mental health days. And um, what mental health days are is that a player has to call into a coach and they have to say, Coach, you know, I, I just want to take a mental health day today. I don't want to be at practice and um, or I can't practice today. And I have, you know, told my coaches this is how we're, we're to answer. We have two questions that we ask the player. How do you feel from a one to ten, one being very, very low? Um, I don't feel, you know, I, I need some help. Or a ten, you know what, coach, I just I'm overwhelmed with studies. I just need a break. Mm-hmm. The second question that we ask them is, is that um, – do you need help and would you like to talk about what's going on? And what I did was I developed a resource book. I sat down with our counselors and I have a resource book that we can use to get all players to know, like, for, for instance, if something really is going on, uh, to be able to get them some help that they need um, to direct them in the right way. And the reason why I started this was because I know our youth are going through a lot when it comes down to schoolwork, parents, parents are getting divorced, brothers and sisters having problems. Mm -hmm. Some of them are taking on the responsibility of being mom and dad. Uh, Some of them are working, you know, all different types of things, even kids that may have it all. Kids that may have everything they need in life, they still go through different pressures, maybe peer pressure, maybe self-esteem. But it's always good to have someone to talk to. And I let them know that that's why we're there for that. And then if you don't want to talk, it's okay as well. But here you can take a you can take a break. Mm -hmm. You can take a break. And it's okay to say, you know what, I just need a day. So we have not had anybody abuse it. Um, we actually have had more kids call us to talk versus abusing it. Yeah. And um, it, it's working. So I, I just had to tell you that because when you talk about feeling good and being an athlete, is so important, the mental health side. Mm-hmm. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? 
I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Mo, let's, uh, let's wrap up here. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about uh, your communication style with your parents, uh, what you do with them. You know, that's the, for a lot of us, that's a $64,000 question. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a thing that everybody, you know, without a doubt, deals with in some way, shape, or form. And, and so what are some of your strategies that you have used to have a, a great working relationship with as many parents as you can to communicate with them as well as you possibly can and get everybody on the same page? Uh, I have I have meetings, 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 Zooms in person. I probably this year, I'll probably have two meetings a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I make sure that my parents understand the expectation of beginning of the year. I bring all parents in. Um, I, you know, have a food spread and uh, we sit and we talk. Yeah. And I want parents to get to know me. I want them to get to know my staff. And I want them to ask as many questions as they possibly can. And I get them to understand what the expectation that I require out of them. Um, I also get them to understand the expectation that I'm going to require out of their student athlete. And then I also ask parents, what is your expectation of the coaches? Mm-hmm. And and I think that is so important to understand what are what do these parents want? Yeah. You know, yeah, and great question. You're not, yeah, <laughs> you're not going to always be able to satisfy all of their needs, but it's good to start off to understand. Yeah, to understand to see what you're dealing with as a coach. Yeah. Um, from those expectations, I always we write those things out, and then I formulate a little, um, I would say, yearly handbook which I show parents student expectations, student athlete expectations, coaches expectations, parent expectations. And I remind them that these are the things that we set forth in the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And um, as we go on and um, it really, really helps because it's something we can refer back to. And I kind of call it like the, the list of expectations. Mm-hmm. And um, once we have a clear understanding of expectations, then there's no disappointment. And that's how I look at it. So um, parents, I meet with them often, like I said, two times um, a month. I also let them know that they can contact me, but it's 24 hours after a game or an yeah. event. Yeah. So do not contact me the day of or talk to any coaches the day of or because or after a game because, mm-hmm. you know, we have to unwind our emotions, a yeah. lose or, or a loss or a win. We have to unwind our emotions and give us that that give us that moment. Yeah. Is is the key part of working with parents for you, Mo? Has it been just setting uh, clearly communicated boundaries in a lot of ways? Um, I believe so. Uh-huh. I believe so. I, I I think that setting boundaries is important with parents. But I also think that the expectation is a little more important because the reason is, is that if you can have a parent with some expectation that you just can't meet. Yeah. And if if you can understand where this parent is coming from, 
they may never say, yo, I agree with you, Coach Mel. They mm-hmm. may never say that. But at least we have a clear understanding of what's expected and where you see where, what you what do you see for my coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but and and those you could say they those are boundaries. But I just feel like expectations and boundaries are really really important. Yeah, one of the things that we have our players do, and and we can't, you know, obviously we're, we we can only monitor this to a degree. Uh, but we encourage our kids. We give them a questionnaire that we have them fill out before the season starts. And one of the questions on there is, uh, Do uh, are, are your expectations for this upcoming season, do you feel like they are in line with your parents' expectations for the upcoming season? We in, And, you know, have you had a conversation with your parents mm-hmm. about expectations coming into the season? And... I think that's an important thing a lot of times as well. And Mo, you're you're seasoned and experienced as well. Uh, a lot of times, the the players understand what their expectations are. Mom and dad have a different expectation, and when mom and dad's expectations aren't met, then they get frustrated, and it's and it's your fault when you you know you and the kid are are feeling pretty good about their expectations. And and I think that's where that that void. Uh, sometimes, and, and it's hard, it's hard for kids a lot of times to, to talk to their parents about that stuff because they don't want to disappoint them or they don't want to confront them or, uh, and, and confront, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but that's the word that popped into my head. You know, it's, it's a tough conversation for kids to have sometimes with mom and dad. And, Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I think that though, if it, if we consider it a tough conversation, then you have to have that conversation because if you mm-hmm. keep putting off the conversation, it's only going to make it worse instead of making it better. Yeah. And, and who are you, uh, you know, I, I asked this in the beginning of the year too. I, I say, um, who are you playing for? Mm, love who it. Who are you playing for? Why are you playing? Because you find that a lot of kids, you know, unfortunately some of them are not playing for themselves. Yeah. You know, they're playing for mom and dad. So that's a whole nother conversation you got to have with them because now whose expectations are you going off? You know, so, yeah. um, you know, and that, and that goes with goal setting and getting them yeah. to understand who they are and what they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, you know, that's, that's why we are so unique in what we do as being coaches mm-hmm. because, um, we just have to adapt. Yep. You know, we just have to adapt and and show kids exactly. Okay, this is we see where you're coming from here. You know, yep. But this is this is how we're going to show you life, yep. and um, it helps. I am I am adding that one to my preseason questionnaire, Mo. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that. Appreciate really that. awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, no, that's you know, a, that, that's a great I question. I, w- I wanted to tell you also one thing also that I'm doing this year. Well, two things I'm doing. Last year, we started it. We had an emoji board. And, um, you know, sometimes we do our check-ins and things of that nature. But we're having each – we're going to write down all players' names. And I got my um, assistant coaches to print out um, life-size emojis. Mm-hmm. And when kids come in, they just place the emoji of how they feel. And let me tell you, it's so many – 
uh, so many different situations that happen. Players come up and say, "Why are you are you okay today? You know, how can we cheer you up?" Because it, it teaches that peer to peer inspiration. Mm-hmm. So we've done we've done that with the emoji board, and then um, also on top of that, Liz K, Coach Liz K, oh, up in Massachusetts, uh, she says she does a journal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the journal this year mm-hmm. where. Every day they end with a journal. So one person takes a journal home, writes in it, brings it home, brings it back. And they don't read it. They just pass it along. And every week at the end of the week, that's when they get to read it. But it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. I'm going to try to do the journaling, too, because it helps teach reflection. Mm-hmm. And um, I know we only have a short amount of time in the season or in a practice, but that's something quickly that we can do to kind of help our kids to be, you know, just to reflect mm-hmm. and um, remember to write things down. So, yeah, that's something I'm going to try to do this year. So you have a journal and Susie has it day one and mm-hmm. she writes whatever into it and then she gives it to Mary and Mary has it day two and and. Everybody just adds to it on a daily basis, and once everybody has it once, then you start it all over again. Is that how it works? Yep. Okay. Yep. It, yep. And she said by the end of the school, at the end of the year, it becomes so interesting because uh, that's something that they always can go back and read and say, "Oh, remember the journal when I was having this day or that day?" You know. So it's it's just pretty cool. Yeah. That that pretty I, cool. That that might be idea number two. I steal from this podcast. <laughs> awesome stuff. <laughs> awesome stuff, Mo. Uh, that's, that's a great place to end coach Mo. Uh, you are absolutely awesome. I'm so excited that you came on the podcast this week. And, uh, if folks want to know more about you, if they want to reach out to you, any of the stuff that we've talked about here today, what's, uh, what's a great way they could get a hold of you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, um, at I am coach Mo Boykins. Um, also you can follow me on, um, on Twitter at Coach Mo Boykins. And then also my email address is Mo Boykins at me, M-E, dot com. So you can follow me or um, email me and I will definitely get back to you. And I just want to say thank you very much, Coach, for giving me this um, opportunity and this honor. And it's been a great it's a it's been a great interview. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, uh, Mo. You are uh, just you know, we've we've gotten to know each other a little bit the last couple of summers, and you know, it's uh, it's been a privilege. You know, I, I I just you like like I referred to earlier. One of the things that just jumped out to me right away with you is is your enthusiasm, your your pride of 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 who you are and what you're uh, you're just so passionate about what you do, Mo, and and. And sometimes uh, at, at the second 615 wake-up call at, at Snow Valley, that's hard to find a lot of passion, but you're always bringing <laughs> that passion. Yes. And, yes. and uh, you know, it, it, it's just uh, I've learned by just – you may not realize this, but I've learned by watching you the way that you interact with, with people, your – uh, just the way you you lift people up, and and I'm not blowing smoke up your keister with all this stuff. It's it's the it's the honest and goodness truth, and 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 uh, you know I'm I'm just uh, I'm just excited to call you a friend, and that we get to see each other a couple times a year, and it's just been a privilege to work with you. So 
Yes, thank you so much. And I will see you next year at Snow Valley. And um, we're just going to keep impacting and motivating and inspiring. And thank you once again. And um, have have a great day. And I love this podcast, by uh, the way. Thank keep you so much. If you, you if you need any help raising any barns out there in Pennsylvania, just let me know, okay? <laughs> OMG, Coach Marty, I'm going to get you when I see you. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> had to sneak oh, one more in there, Mo. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, if you can hold the line here just a second, uh, that'd be great. Again, Mo Boykins, uh, Penwood High School uh, in Philadelphia, girls basketball head coach. Hopefully, you've taken a lot of really good things from her today. I've got a bunch of stuff written down. She is absolutely terrific. Um, we want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. Uh, again, if you're in the Omaha area and you're in need of chiropractic services, don't re- hesitate to reach out to Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. Give them a holler at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, download, rate, review this. Like I said, uh, give us a good review. Tell us, say good things about a pen and a napkin. That'd be great. Any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Great conversation with Coach Boykins today. Hope you folks have enjoyed it. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day 